This episode was recorded on Monday, October 5th. Limitless Range Welcome to episode 17 of Limitless Range Podcast. I am Travis Garner here with Logan Sella. As always, we're back and uh, we're back on Anchor. I'm I'm not exactly too thrilled that this is a thing, but nevertheless, it's looking like we will be back in person next week with higher quality podcasts and uh, higher quality audio and things of that nature. But yes, we're back on anchor recording for this episode this week it it's looking like it's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode this week um and now we're gonna next week is going to be basically all Mavs centered so next week we're going to talk about anything related to the Mavs so it could be trade targets free agency targets uh what they could do with their draft picks just it's going to be all Mavs related next week so that'll be a big episode but now we're here and we're ready to talk to the NBA. So, Sella, what do you got for me? Uh, well, uh, I know you wanted to talk Sixers first. Sixers and Doc Rivers, yeah? Yeah. Um, so, for those of you who do, who have not heard, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers have signed Doc Rivers to uh, take the reins as their head coach. I'm not exactly sure how I feel about this. Doc Rivers was quoted as saying that he the reason he took the job was because of the talent that that Philly has. But I mean, if you ask me, he just had a pretty talented team and the Clippers and look where they're at. I kind of agree with you. I think it's it's sort of a good match, but in a bad way, because they both the Sixers and Doc Rivers sort of underachieve by themselves. Um, You know, we've seen it at least a few times now. We just saw it. Uh, this last fall, I guess, uh, with the Clippers, and they were title, if not favorites, right up there, and they didn't make it. And it happened with CP3 and Blake and those Clipper teams year after year. They never made it. Um, and now the same thing with Philadelphia. I, you know, they I, they spend big in free agency. They have Simmons. They have Embiid. And they're good enough to be right up there in the, the favorite conversation, at least in the East, but yet. They never quite get there, so I don't know. It's it's kind of a a good match, but in a bad way, I guess. They they seem to be a little bit too much like each other. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about it, and I don't really necessarily know if the Clippers underachieving mm-hmm. is Doc Rivers' fault. I mean, I I think he he takes some of the blame. Obviously, he's the coach. He's in charge of what what plays they're running, what they're doing, who's in the game, who's out of the game. But at the same time, as I mentioned in previous episodes, it just didn't look like that Clippers team wanted to be there. It didn't look like they wa- they didn't have any chemistry. It di- it didn't look like they it, it looked like there was their, it was their first time playing together. You know what I mean? I hear you, and I think that certainly uh, applies to Game Seven. Game Game Seven, you really just saw all of the warts. You know, all the disjointedness and all of the rumblings about not wanting to be there and just the lack of cohesion that in game seven all came out. But I think in games five and six, you can certainly hold doc accountable because they had 
what was it, 19 and, and 15 point leads? I'd like to think if you got a number of coaches to that spot, they could at least limp home and win one of those games with that kind of lead and with probably the best player on the floor in Kawhi Leonard, probably not the best two because I think Murray is probably a little bit better than playoff P. But <laughs> come on, you were up 15 points. I mean, you got you just have to take it home at that point, really. You got I mean, to close, close out at least one Certainly, I, you can't let Kawhi and Paul George and Lou Will and those guys off the hook. And ultimately, they, they lost it in Game 7, in my opinion. But come on, in Games 5 and 6, that was just a coaching atrocity. And, and I, you know, I, I feel bad because he lost his job. And he's a, a good man from what everybody says. But you just have to do better there. You do. You definitely have to do better. And, it's, and I think one, one of the big glaring issues that I saw um, people talking about was his, his – uh, inability to want to change the the lineup or want to change who was on the floor because it it seemed that people were saying that Jamichael Green would have been a lot better of a matchup to put in the game as opposed to Montrezl Harrell and he just stuck with Harrell the whole time yeah I, I hear you I think um, I don't that's... know if that's if that's just because Jamichael Green's a bit more of a shooter I think so maybe there's a little more spacing but um yeah I don't know just to try something different. I mean, uh, but at the same time, I guess they had a lead in the second half of all three of those games. I mean, it's hard to say that the game plan wasn't bad because they, they'd come out and get a lead. Uh, but, you know, it was just the lack of adjustments and the lack of bringing the team together in the heat of battle, really, is just what did it for them. Yeah, it just, it just really seemed like that they they got that 3-1 lead and then, the, and then they just kind of started to coast. And they're like, okay. We're, we're fine. And then they the lead was cut to 3-2. And they're like, okay, we're, we're a little more nervous now, but we're still fine. And then sure. it's 3-3, and they're like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I give Denver lots of credit because so many teams would have just rolled over. Oh, no, we're playing the big bad Clippers, and they're up 15. But there was none of that in Denver, and, and good for them. I mean, I, I think, you know, it was really once as soon as the, the Nuggets started to come back, then – the Clippers just kind of folded their tent. I mean, the, it was a, the Nuggets, they took the lead in, the, in Game 7. I think it was like eight or nine minutes left, and then they never gave it back. The Clippers just said, okay, you know, guess we'll go home now. I, just the lack of, of fight, really, was, I mean, somebody has to pay, and, and you can't move off of Kawhi, and you can't move off of Paul George. So somebody had, somebody had to be accountable for it, and it was Doc. There's some there's some uh, Paul George trade talks happening right now. I mean, I think it's just rumor mill. Like, I don't think there's any validity to it yet. But I've seen one of the biggest thing I've seen is hit is uh, Paul George to the Nets, which um, would be interesting. Uh, it would be. Um, but I just think, unfortunately, Paul George's trade value is not very high right now because I don't think so he did, either. He did not have a good showing in the playoffs and. He's still only under contract for one year, so there's a potential that no matter who you traded him with, he'd only be a one-year rental. So I don't, I don't he, think you get too many teams chomping at the bit to do that. He seems to be a tad bit injury-prone as well. Well, his, his shoulder magically starts flaring up every time he goes four for 16 in the playoffs. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. No, I've never thought about it, but you're right. 
He always um, had that ice pack on his shoulder at the press conferences. Did you notice that? Yep, I did. Mm. Yep. And no disrespect to Paul George, by the way. He poss- he probably really is injured, but, I mean, when you bring up an injury after you go four for 16, it's not exactly a good look. No. Uh, <laughs> but uh, good segue there. So, speaking of teams rolling over in the playoffs, uh, what did we talk about the other day after game two, Sella, of the NBA Finals? Uh, well, I think we were thinking it might be a sweep. Yes, we were. We were – Sel and I were texting each other, and uh, we were talking about roll out the red carpet for the Lakers. We're, we were thinking it was going to be a sweep, but uh, Jimmy Butler had other plans. <laughs> Jimmy Butler certainly had other plans. That was unbelievable last night. Heck of a game from him. Jimmy Butler ended the night with with a 40-point triple-double. He had 40 points, 11 rebounds, and 13 assists in 45 minutes played. Um, so he pretty much played the whole game, which is completely – understandable dealing with the amount of injuries that Miami has. Once uh, once I heard about all the injuries and I heard about Bam Adebayo was, was done for at least one game, Drogic is out for the series. I was like, okay, yeah, this could be an issue. Right. I mean, he's he's going to be done. For, I, don't, I don't think he's going to play in this series. I'm not sure if Adebayo will be back tomorrow for game four. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. I thought – once they announced Adebayo out and no Dragic, I mean, who who else is there really besides Jimmy? I mean, even even though they won, he, he was just a one man show. I mean, Hero didn't shoot that great. Robinson didn't shoot that great. It wasn't a great performance from the Lakers. Obviously, the, the turnovers were were bad, but just an unbelievable performance from Butler. He 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 took over the game and did it almost by himself. It was it was incredible. Yeah, he definitely basically took over the game by himself. The next highest highest scoring person on the team was Tyler Hero, and he had 17 points. But as you mentioned, he didn't shoot that efficiently. And um, Jay Crowder has been having a, a pretty decent playoff run, um, but he he didn't really show up. I mean, he, he shot 5 for 12 and 2 for 8 from 3, so he didn't really show up. So it was basically all on the shoulders of Jimmy Butler, and boy, did he come through. I mean, just the efficiency and the way he closed it out, too. I mean, the Lakers were, were trying to get back in the game. Um, you know, the LeBron made a couple baskets. Uh, KCP made a couple. They made one at the end, I remember. But every time uh, the Lakers were trying to get back into it, Jimmy had an answer, and, and he did it so efficiently, too. Only 20 shots. I mean, it was, it was LeBron-esque, really. It was, it was unbelievable. It was quite unbelievable, and uh, one thing I wanted to ask your opinion on um, is what's your whole stance on uh, LeBron walking off the court before the game was done? It's not a great look, but, um, you know, I think it's something he's, he's done before. I think it was it was in his first time in Cleveland when he was younger. He did it. It was the same type of situation, uh, end of the game, garbage time, you know, whatever. I don't like it, but I, I think it's something we'll, we'll probably forget about by the end of the game tomorrow. I mean, he's a, you know, competitive guy. I don't know. It's not, not a great look, but. Yeah, it's not a great look for him. I mean, he he had a really good game, I, honestly. I mean, not a really good game, but it, it was it was a, a good, it was a good game for his standards, you know. Like, he has, he, you just expect triple-double out of LeBron every time he comes on the floor. So, um, for his standards, it was a it was a decent game, and 
something that I noticed in the box score is 25 for LeBron, 25, 10, and 8 for LeBron, and then 15 points for AD. So he, he didn't really pop off that much that game. Five rebounds. And then I go further down the box score, and there's only one or two more people that are over 10 points. So Marquise Morris and Kyle Kuzma both scored 19. And then Alex Caruso had eight. Uh, Rajon Rondo had four. Danny Green had two. We've already went into Danny Green on this podcast. Him and K- <laughs> Danny and KCP were both very bad last night. A combined one for 11. Uh, you know, usually KCP has shot it well recently, but uh, he, they were just bad, bad yesterday. KCP has been really bad in this finals. I mean, he, uh, game one, he shot three for 10 game two. He shot four for 14 and game game three. He shot one for five. So he shot two for 11 from three in game two. So he's, he's, he's been uh, struggling in this final series. I like, I did. I like, yeah, you're right. I liked how he shot it against Denver, but he, he has been bad so far this series, him and Danny green, both. All right. We'll, uh, we'll transition into our final, uh, segment for this episode. Um, we're going to chat a little bit about this news article that uh, we found. It is on Bleacher Report, um, and it is by Zach Buckley. It is called Trades to Get Every Eliminated Playoff Team into the 2021 NBA Finals. Um, go check out this article by Zach Buckley. Uh, all credit to him. I've read a couple of his articles before. He writes good stuff. Um, so, starting off, for the Boston Celtics, the trade is the Celtics receive Miles Turner, Jeremy Lamb, and Doug McDermott, and the Pacers receive Gordon Hayward, the 14th pick, and the 26th pick. I think if you're Boston and, and you're trying to win the championship next year, I think you could maybe offer a little more. Don't they have you know even more draft picks they could offer? Yeah, I mean... Like in I, I 2022 and 2023, don't they have another pick? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think, I think that this this would get it done for for Boston to get Miles Turner on the team, and I think Jeremy Lamb is just so the salaries match up. Um, but you get Gordon Hayward on the Pacers, good a good wing scorer. Yeah, that would solidify Demontis Sabonis as being your your five of the future. I, I I honestly I like this trade for, I love this trade for Boston. I think this is exactly what they need. They need a center. That's what they need the most. Miles Turner spreads the floor really well. He's a good rim protector. Um, and then I'm not as keen on it for the Pacers, but I think they could make it work. Yeah, I. I... I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure Indiana would love to move off of Turner. I guess it would depend on, uh, like we said earlier, there's reports now that Oladipo wants to leave there. So maybe if they wanted to tear it all down, they could. But I don't know. I think if I was Boston and I really wanted to go all in, I would, I would go for some bigger fish and offer uh, a couple more picks that they have instead of just the, the two picks this year. I would try to include picks for this upcoming year and maybe next year as well yeah i mean if you're i think boston needs a center i think i think that's i don't think they need a guard they have jalen jalen brown is their is their shooting guard of the future their their wing of the future and jason tatum is their small forward power forward 
esque player of the future. Kemba's their their current point guard, so I really think they need a center. I'm looking at it right now. Let me see what what picks they still have. They have three picks this year and three picks next year. So I think, really, like I said, I think instead of you know trying to get rid of Hayward, I would I would use those picks and try and get a, a stud. Maybe I know we'll talk about it later, but like Rudy Gobert, see if he's available, or or maybe Bradley Beal. I don't know if the fit would be great there, but he's certainly a player of that caliber. I think would would be a better target. I think Miles Turner is the perfect target in my opinion. I mean, he's a he's a great rim protecting center. He averages 2.6 blocks per 36 minutes in his career and he uh he's a great floor spacer. I think he's the ideal center for the Celtics. All right. For the Brooklyn Nets, the Washington Wizards received Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Garrett Temple, the number 19 pick a 2021 second round pick, a 2022 first, and the Nets the Nets receive Bradley Beal. So I think this would probably be a deal that I would look for closer to the deadline, uh, just because this is the last year of Beal's contract, so, and I, I think most people think he's going to leave. Um, so I think you could probably, if you were Brooklyn, I think you could get this deal uh, at the deadline with without having to give up so much, I think Beal's price will be a little bit lower because they'll lose the leverage at the deadline. Uh, but I, I think it could be a great fit. I think, uh, you know, Beal can play off the ball because we know Kyrie and KD are going to have it in their hands a lot. And, and it never hurts to have another great certified score, um, especially come playoff time. I, I'd like this deal for Brooklyn. I think, you know, Washington – uh, is probably going to try and see how things look with Beal and Wall together again, but I think I think they probably are going to have to pivot towards rebuilding, and this would be a great way to do it. I agree. I think uh, I, I like this trade for the Nets. Um, the only thing that I that's a question mark for me is defense, but yeah, I I think this is a good all around trade. If if uh, if the Wizards finally decide to take the plunge and decide they want to rebuild, mm-hmm. which they should have done two or three years ago, in my opinion, but that's beside the point. Next, my very own Dallas Mavericks. The Dallas Mavericks receive Rudy Gobert. The Utah Jazz receive Tim Hardaway Jr., Maxi Kleba, Jalen Brunson, the number 18 pick, and the number 31 pick. Now, I don't like this trade as a, from the Mavs' perspective because, number one, I feel like we're giving up too much. Rudy Gobert, this is going to sound really bad. But I don't think Rudy Gobert really offers much. He offers, you know, 13 to 14 points per game and elite rim protection, which is good. But at the same time, I think Kristaps is our center of the future, and then we build around him at the center position. And I don't think Rudy Gobert can play power forward. Yeah, I'm with you. You're right. I think Gobert is a great player, but I don't think he's really what the Mavs need. I think what makes the Mavs special is playing Kristaps at that stretch five and flanking him with all kinds with little guys that can shoot from everywhere and, and, and Luca. So I, I think Gobert would kind of just be a hindrance to those two because he would kind of block the lane. And while he'd be a great defender, I think, you know, I don't know if you could play him and Kristaps at the same time, just because Kristaps is so big. I, I don't know how well he'd be able to move with little guys and, and Gobert is going to be 28 next season. I think, 
you know, he's a bigger guy, so he'll he'll age well. But I'm not so sure that he's not going to decline just a little bit. Um, you know, obviously he hasn't had terrible injury luck, but I would be hesitant to to try and move to him as he approaches 30. And I just think I, I don't really like that fit. I think that takes away from what makes Dallas special. Agreed. Next, we have the Denver Nuggets. Now, the Oklahoma City Thunder received Michael Porter Jr., Monte Morris, and the number 22 pick. And Denver Nuggets received Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I like the idea of, of trading Porter because I think he's probably your biggest flippable asset that um, you know that has a good amount of value uh, just because he's a young guy and, and had flashes this postseason that uh, I could see a lot of teams having some interest. But I think I would want to go – if I were Denver, I would target a player with some more experience than Gilgis Alexander. I like Alexander's game. I think he's going to be a great player, but I think he's probably just a little a little young. If you're trying to get over the top, I think you'd probably need somebody with a little bit better, better veteran presence. And I think you probably need somebody that's going to be able to guard Kawhi or LeBron uh, if you get as far as you did this year. I would agree with that. I, I like this trade for Denver. Honestly, I, I think it could work. Um, but honestly for OKC, I'm not a huge fan of this trade. I think it, it's my understanding that they're going to rebuild after this at when this off season starts, I would assume. So if you do, I, my understanding was they were going to build around Shea, but I don't know, maybe they move him. Yeah. I, I could see it. I I don't know. He'd certainly be a valuable asset, but I think they'll probably want him as part of the rebuild rather than as a trade chip. All right. Next, we have the Houston Rockets. The Rockets receive Aaron Gordon and Al Farouk Aminu. And the Orlando Magic receive Eric Gordon, Daniel House Jr., Ben McLemore, 2022 first-round pick, a 2024 second-round pick, and a 2024 second round pick via Golden State. I don't know. I think that's an awful lot to give up if I'm Houston for a, a player that I don't think really would be that big of a difference maker. Yeah, that's a very hefty package for um for someone like Aaron Gordon. I mean, Aaron Gordon is is good, um, but I just don't really see him as being that much of a difference maker on the Rockets where you want to give up that much. And from the, from the magic standpoint, I, I really don't know what this does for you. I mean, you're a, a eight, nine seed every year. You're a borderline playoff team every year. I really don't know what adding Eric Gordon and Daniel house does for you. Well, I think the thing would be the picks, but even the picks wouldn't be that great. If, if Houston, even if they're, not great next year they're probably still a playoff team like even right. even those the 2022 pick and the 2024 picks that I, I can't imagine they'd be great like those wouldn't be top five yeah picks the 20 the 2022 first round pick is top five protected honestly if i'm both teams i, I pass on that trade i think i would if i was houston i wouldn't mind it if i had mike d'antoni as the coach still because i think you know aaron gordon could be like an amari stoudemire type like uh, those original Suns teams with D'Antoni, but but I don't know now. I don't I don't think that would be a very good combination for Houston. Uh, uh-uh. have they hired a coach yet? Uh, no, 
I don't think so. Next trade, the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana Pacers received Drew, Drew Holiday. The Pelicans received Miles Turner, Aaron Holiday, Doug McDermott, and a 2022 first-round pick. Hmm. I, I like Drew Holiday, but I don't think he would get that team to the finals. I think, you know, they probably need another wing type. Um, you know, Oladipo's pretty good in that backcourt. They have the size of Sabonis and Turner. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't hate the move. I think it would it, it would put them kind of like this Heat team where they have, you know, if, if things break right and and they get the, some good matchups, they could make some noise. But I don't I don't know if that would really be a true needle mover. I would agree. I I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I really feel like if you trade for Drew Holiday as the Pacers, you're basically getting the same player that Victor Oladipo is. I, Just, I think I, Oladipo's I, a little bit more skilled offensively, but I, I see what you're saying. I think I think uh, Drew Holiday is a, is a tad better defender and a tad better playmaker than Victor Oladipo. But other than that, I really think they're basically this, uh, the same player. Right. They have Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon already, which who I think are a good fit together. So, I, I, I mean, I, I, under, I understand going small. But I I think I would rather get some somebody a little bit bigger, find a, a true wing, really. All right, next. Oh, here we go. The Clippers receive Derrick Rose. The Detroit Pistons receive Landry Shamet, Mifiandu Cabangeli, and a 2022 second round pick. Thoughts? Uh I don't know. Isn't D Rose kind of just a a poor man's Lou Will? Like, even though he. he He's got a lot of experience. I think – I don't know if he would start for them. And he's really – you know, they need more of a true point guard conductor type, but he really isn't that great at that. Like, he only averaged five and a half assists last year. I think it would be a decent trade for the Pistons, but I don't I don't know where the fit would be for the Clippers with D. Rose. Yeah, I'm not really sure where this came from. I'm not really sure what the what D. Rose would do for the team. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure on that one. Next, the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks received Chris Paul and the Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City Thunder receive Eric Bledsoe, Ersan Ilyasova, Dante Divincenzo, Robin Lopez, DJ Wilson, and a 2024 second round, excuse me, 2024 first round pick, top five protected. Now. One more one thing. This is a lot to give up for Chris Paul, in my opinion. I think it with Chris Paul aging and, and Chris Paul being as old as he is, it really shortens your championship window if you're the Bucks. I agree, but I think they they kind of have to be in win or bust mode now because Giannis can leave after next season. So that's true. If they're not right. That in the mix for either this this upcoming year and maybe the year or two after, then, you know, they really have no choice. Yeah, I didn't really think about it that way. You're right. It's, I mean, they it's pretty much winter bust this year for the Bucks as far as Giannis staying. Next, Oklahoma City Thunder. The Oklahoma City Thunder receives Victor Oladipo. So going back to the Thunder. Um, he was on the Thunder, correct? Yes, he was part of the okay. Paul George trade. Okay, I just I wanted to make sure I wasn't stupid. Oklahoma City Thunder received Victor Oladipo. The Indiana Pacers received Dennis Schroeder, Darius Baisley, 
Terrence Ferguson and a number 25 pick in the draft for Victor Oladipo? Um, I think this is probably as good as Indiana could do for Oladipo's services, but I don't know if Oklahoma City would make this move just because the West is so good. I don't, I don't think – I think Oladipo would be a good addition, but I don't think he would get them over the top. I don't think so either, especially with what they're giving up there. Right. I mean, uh, no, that's just no discredit to Oklahoma City, and, and they were right there from getting to the Final Four in the West. I mean, they took Houston to a Game 7, but I they they would be significant underdogs even with all the depot against the Clippers, Lakers, maybe the Rockets again. I, I don't know, but I, I don't think they'd have enough just because the West was is so brutal. All right, next, the Orlando Magic. Now, for the Magic, they receive Bradley Beal. The Washington Wizards receive Evan Fournier, Jonathan Isaac, the number 15 pick. I, don't, I just don't know if Orlando still would have the pieces. Even if Beal came over and was great, I think – They'd be just a lot like Washington is now. How much winning would really be done there? I I, I like Bradley Beal, but I'm, I worry that he's kind of just the guy that puts up great stats on a bad team. I would agree with that. I worry about that too. And this kind of runs the same lines as the Houston trade that we mentioned earlier with Orlando, where it's like, what what does this really, really do for them? You know, I think, I think it just moves them from being a, fringe playoff team to st- either staying a fringe playoff team or possibly moving up to a seven or six seed. But I, I really don't see the point of this if you're the magic. Right. I mean, I think if I think the, the trade would probably be if they wanted to move Gordon and, and just try and, and, and restart. But I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think either one of these teams would really like this, like this trade. I agree. Next, the Sixers. The Sixers receive Chris Paul, and the Oklahoma City Thunder receive Al Horford, Batiste Thibel, Zaire Smith, and a 2022 first-round pick, top 10 protected. Um, I could see this happening. I think that, especially with Doc on board now, I think uh, I could see him wanting to bring along somebody like Chris Paul that he has a lot of experience with, somebody as a, a veteran that could help whip Simmons and Embiid into shape. Uh, obviously, I mean, those are your two centerpieces. And, and really, you know, it's, maybe it's not quite that simple, but your success as a franchise hinges on those two guys. And, you know, we saw with Oklahoma City this year, uh, CP3, for his, some of the criticism he gets is, is deserved, but I think he has a chance to really elevate Philadelphia if, if this were the case. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it if I was Philadelphia. I wouldn't hate it either. I I think this is a great trade for the Thunder. I mean, you get off the contract of Chris Paul. Sure, you get Al Horford back, but he can be a guy that just plays the four or the five for you and is just kind of there. And you get some great young assets back in Matisse Dybul and Zaire Smith. Matisse Dybul has shown his ability to be an elite perimeter defender. And not to mention, you get a first-round pick. So I, I actually love this trade for uh, OKC. I like Thibault and Smith. I think Horford would be kind of the tough one to swallow there. I think OKC would probably look to – if they were really trying to rebuild, I, I wouldn't imagine they'd want to take on that big of a salary, but yeah. Well, the only problem is with that is I think the only reason Horford's in this trade is to make the money work. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it's, I, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place there. Yeah. 
Next, the Portland Trailblazers receive Ben Simmons. The Philadelphia 76ers receive C.J. McCollum, Gary Trent Jr., and the number 16 pick. This might be my favorite trade so far, I think. Simmons is one of those guys where if you have a, a veteran leader like Damian Lillard, I think you could. There's there's more that could be squeezed out of Simmons. I think he still has. I I still think he's hit his ceiling yet. Obviously, you know the the shot and the, the lack of a jump shot is is the big point. But I mean, he was thrust into a leadership role at Philadelphia at such a young age. I mean, he never and it, you could see it. It rubs off on Embiid. Uh, you know, the knock on them is they're just not hard workers. They're not leaders. And I think he would be perfect as the number two to Lillard there in Portland. He would be great on defense. He's a better defender than McCollum. Doesn't you know the the one-two combo uh, with Damon McCollum is great, but I I don't think that's going to be enough. I think this would be perfect for Portland. I would agree. I I really think that this this would work for Portland. I I think they they just they need to switch something up at this point. Um, I because I think them making the Western Conference Finals. What was that? A year ago, or no? That was two years ago. Yeah, two years ago now. I think that was pretty much – we pretty much know now that that was a fluke. I think – I don't think CJ and, and Dame are what's going to get you deep playoff runs. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. I don't, I'm not sure if I was Philadelphia. I think I would maybe try and keep Simmons instead of Embiid. I mean, they're sort of – I mean, they're different players, but they're, they would both kind of serve as that, that you know big scoring presence down low. You know, I don't think Portland would trade for MB just because they have Nurkic and, and who's the other center? Uh, um, Hassan. Whiteside, White right. So I don't think they would trade for MB, but yeah, I think that would be a great move for Portland. Round out the final two. So we have the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors receive LaMarcus Aldridge, the, and the San Antonio Spurs receive Norman Powell, Terrence Davis, and a number 29 pick. I don't really understand this trade at all. Well, doesn't, I, don't, I mean, I feel like Toronto already has guys like him and Ibaka and Gasol. Even Siakam. Even, well, Siakam's more of a, a wing than, you know, Aldridge would, you know, play as more of a big guy at this point in his career. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It feels like the Raptors already have players that can do what Aldridge does. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, I mean, I guess if you're the Spurs, this kind of categorizes you as to going into rebuilding mode, I would assume. Yeah, pretty much. All right, rounding it out, we have the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz receive Chris Paul, and the OKC Thunder receive Mike Conley, a 2021 second-round pick via Golden State, a 2023 first-round pick that is top-10 protected. I think this is a lot like getting Mike Conley last year. I think it sort of sounds like it could work, but I'm not sure that it really could just because Mitchell – um, needs the ball in his hands and likes the ball in his hands a lot. And I think it, w- it would be good for him to have somebody, you know, to handle the ball more. But I, I just don't think that would be maximizing both of their talents. I think Chris Paul is, is – I think he's better than Mike Conley at this point. But I also think that they're kind of similar in the way they play. They're both pretty good defenders. They're both pretty good passers. I would say Chris Paul's a way better passer, actually, than Mike Conley. But I I just don't really see what this does if you're the Jazz. I think it just leaves you directly where you're at right now. I mean, I think it, it could be a great move, but it would have to be a great season from Paul again. And, you know, him and Mitchell would have to make it work as far as who handles the ball and such. But 
yeah, I think it's just a little bit too much like Mike Conley. Like we've seen that before. All right. So with that, we are going to end this episode here. Um, like I said, a bit of a shorter episode this week, but next week we're going to, we're going to do all, all Mavs uh, talk. So we're just going to be, we're going to be talking about the Mavs the whole time. And then coming up here soon, we're, I'm thinking we're probably going to do um, some like bold off season predictions, stuff like that. So stay tuned for all that. But with that, uh, I'm Travis Garner. Logan Sella. As always, we appreciate you guys for listening. We're signing off and we'll catch you next week.